This Choircast podcast is proudly brought to you by R.J. the Astronaut by John Turney, published by Choir and available now. Join R.J. on his out-of-this-world journey filled with loving conversations, drama, and thought-provoking questions. Available now on Amazon.com. Get your copy and embark on an unforgettable adventure today. Dive into R.J.'s world where every moment sparks imagination and every page ignites curiosity. Don't miss out. Grab your copy now and soar beyond the stars with R.J. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we're glad that you're with us. I would like to extend an invitation to join us in, an, in, a, in a beverage, even though I do believe, John, you're, you're still abstaining. Alone. I am. It makes me sad. I'm proud of you, but I'm also sad for you. I don't even know how many days it is now. Wow, see? Now, when I, when I stopped drinking, I counted hours. And then I promptly started drinking again, so it's no problem. But uh, 18 days. 18 days. Nice. 18 well, days sober. The rest of us can raise a visit in poor taste. To, I'm raising a glass, a glass. non-alcoholic beer. There All right. Go. Well, I'll raise my water. So. There you go. I've got my Diet Dr. Pepper, which my wife is, <laughs> would much rather me give up than alcohol at this point. She's been on me about the diet sodas forever. Because you bring up things like that, and then I make a move, and all that shows oh. up. Yeah, and you've got that. You've got the wall right? of whiskey behind you. Yeah. So just because but, I've I've stopped drinking doesn't mean I know what to do with my nice collection yet. Right. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of money back here. There Listen, is, actually. I, I don't want to, uh, you know, I, I don't want to blow any more smoke up your uh, backside than is absolutely necessary. But I would say your ability to refrain with that temptation within arm's reach is uh, that's uh, that's something to be that commended. That is impressive. So, yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I wouldn't have that kind of self-control. You were quite driven is what it sounds like, right? Therapy on this, helps on this mission. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> therapy helps. I yeah. and, and I'm not. And that's not. I mean, it's a, it is a joke, but it isn't a joke, right? I mean, you know, I will be. Therapy helps. Know. Yeah, yeah. We're all finding out that we all need therapy desperately, and uh, and uh, anyway. But we've digressed already. We haven't even actually introduced. I have podcast, benefited but, from it as uh, well over the years. This is awesome. So the the the. Uh, the, the podcast, as you know, because you clicked the link, is uh, it's called This Is Not Church. And that's because if it was church, you would have left by now. And uh, we like to remind you from time to time <laughs> that we would not like you to leave too quickly. Let us at least pass the plate and take up a collection. So you can sow into the ministry and receive, you know, God's blessings. We are yes. now promising a hundredfold return on all of your tithes and offerings that are offered up to the This Is Not Church podcast. But don't come back and tell us when it doesn't work because that's not on us. That's on you. No, I just mean you your have lack faith. of faith. You have to sow it in genuine faith. Right. I am. A, I'm, a, I'm a that. full. I'm a full participant and believer in the no true Scotsman fallacy. So when uh-huh. you come to me and say it didn't work, I'd be like, "Well, that is a bummer, dude. Had you done it correctly, <laughs> you know, as L. Ron Hubbard likes to tell his his people, if you used it correctly, it would work. You know." So Scientology <laughs> and Christianity have a lot in common. We should they talk are, about that. Yeah. But anyway, we're yeah. here with Dr. Jennifer Bird because why not? That's that. Oh, man. I'm, I, I, before we introduce you officially, I would say that you and I met briefly at the uh, Awaken conference in Nashville. And that was a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, the, the energy that this individual brings to her work is, uh, is stellar. I mean, she's a dynamic speaker, but you are a dynamic speaker, by the way. And, uh, my wife and I talked for many, many hours, uh, after you, after you gave your talk at that event. And we were like, yeah, that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Good. We're going to talk about some really cool stuff 
and uh, hopefully uh, tip over a couple of sacred cows, maybe uh, maybe piss off some uh, some religious folks, which is always a favorite pastime. <laughs> Come on, I never get tired of that. But uh, let me let me read you a brief introduction. We'll talk about her. Uh, she's an East Coaster by upbringing. Her undergraduate and graduate schools, Dr. Byrne has taught in New Jersey, Texas, Tennessee, North Carolina, Oregon, and Virginia. She's currently embracing the title Independent Public Biblical Scholar. Try to say that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should change it. Independent <laughs> Public Biblical Scholar. And you can follow her commentary and interview videos in her official co-hosted podcast at the links that we'll provide at the end of the show and also at her website. But uh, she has a background within the United Methodist Church, education in a Presbyterian-affiliated institution, Time spent in several ministerial contexts, six years of graduate work in biblical studies, and more than 25 years of teaching in classrooms of all kinds. They all have informed her approach to having quite honest and sometimes difficult conversations about what is actually to be found in the scriptures of the Christian Bible. And her latest book, I believe, right? Your latest book is called uh, Biblical Marriage. Did they get that title correct? Marriage Marriage in the Bible. Bible. This is what I get for taking my eyes off the the ball for a second. No worries. But marriage in the Bible, and that was the topic. Quite well, at least one of the topics of your talk when we when we met in Nashville. So, without any further ado, welcome to this is not church. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for that lovely introduction, Nat. I appreciate it, and I'm doing all right. I try to fumble it as little as I can. You know, <laughs> it's a you know it's a Monday night, and I've had my my workout for the day. I'm feeling good. You know, just wow. here to hang out with the two of you and see what you want to talk about. Well, you know what? I uh, I want to talk about whatever you want to talk about, but let's kick it off if you could. You know, the bios are fine. They're, they are what they are. Um, but if you wouldn't mind maybe filling in some of the gaps for us and kind of give us a little bit more view of maybe your journey in this sure. thing we call spirituality, faith, whatever you want to call it, just kind of give us a clue where you're coming from. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I did the reference to United Methodist. I mean, I grew up in a family that went was very active in a United Methodist church, which tends they tend to be kind of middle of the road, social justice oriented, but but not super not super energetic and excited. And I kind of needed that, at least as a teenager. And that's what that's when I kind of took this theological swing very far to the right. I, I mean, I think of it as like a six or seven year very biblical seven, right? <laughs> of being very <laughs> conservative. Sort of dalliance, as it were. With yes, <laughs> yeah, like kind of fundamentalist and very, you know, there was a lot of energy in this organization I was involved in, both in high school and then for four years in college, I was a volunteer and then two years after college on staff with this organization. So very much an evan- evangelist, um, the, whole, the whole nine yards there for a while. And my family, you know, didn't really understand because... You know, we'd had female pastors as growing up. And then all of a sudden I'm saying women shouldn't be ordained. You know, like, <laughs> how, did, how many of you do that? You know, like you went the wrong direction. I <laughs> did, exactly. And even on my mother's ordination day, which was in the middle of my undergraduate, I had the nerve to say to her on the very day that she was ordained, you know, mom, it's just, I don't know how you could do this because it's against God's will for women to be ordained. I mean, I said that. My 20-year-old self said that to my mother. It's just stunning. So we, she and I were starting a five-hour ride home together, the two of us, just the two of us. And that's, and that's what I open with, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well, not a boring ride home, at least. Not a boring ride home. And I just love to give her props for not pushing me out of the car. You know, like, <laughs> she did not open, you know. Anyway, so that, I love that anecdote, um, because now I can laugh at it. And 
I'm in a very different place theologically than I was then, but I just, I like people to know that's where I was because I'm not embarrassed about who I used to be, right? It's a part of who I am. And it's, it informs how I have conversations with people. Like I understand where other people are coming from who have very, very conservative beliefs and nobody wants to be you know, nobody, people don't respond to being made fun of or being treated like they're ridiculous for not thinking what you're thinking. And, and I, it was as, as I think the language is these days, people talk about deconstructing. I personally prefer saying something more like I gradually became better informed, but, um, I understand why people call it deconstruction because that's what it is. You're, you're pulling all these ideas apart, looking at them and stirring it all up and figuring out how to put it all back together. So in a sense, what got me to where I am now is I, I was doing that. I was on staff with that organization, Young Life. And then I crashed. I just burnt out and talking about therapy earlier. That was my, yeah, my foray into that started then. And um, I had someone in my life show me that you could... The, the Martha Mary passage, she she did a rendering of that passage that instead of at the end when Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better, she she was looking at the Greek and she could see that the Greek actually would sustain a translation that says that Mary chose is better instead of giving in to the patriarchal expectations of her, which is what you're doing, Martha, which is why you're in the kitchen cleaning and are annoyed that she's not helping you. And in this paper, this person actually referenced me by name (laughs) as a young woman who was being like Martha, who was giving in to what the patriarchal norms were expecting of her and was not living up to her full potential or choosing what she, I, wanted to do with my gifts. I mean, it was like cosmic shift going on here. So I thought if she can find something that dramatic in just attending to the Greek, what else is out there for up for debate? And so I, that's what got me to seminary. And, and when I got to seminary, I didn't know I was going to encounter all this other stuff about church history and how the doctrines were formed and who was invited and who wasn't and why and <laughs> so much going on. So I kind of backed into it all. I just my curiosity, right? And um, yeah, and so I had I had this strong desire to want to be able to communicate what I was learning at seminary that was just deeper informing my understanding of the Bible. Not, it wasn't shaking my faith. It was just changing how I thought about it, right? And then, of course, I went undergraduate school, and that continued to change how I thought about it. Um, so. Yeah, um, you know, I have, I'm driven by, I, I like to say these days, I like to say I'm a teacher at heart. So people understand I'm not a lecturer professor. I have always been a teacher professor. So I've taught, you know, in undergrad situations, I've taught seminaries, I've taught all kinds of educational frameworks, but I care about helping people get something, even if it's just one bite that they can mull over and and apply and then maybe think about things differently from there on out. So that's what I've done with my second and third books is try to provide content that you could get in a like an undergraduate 
course on an intro to the Bible. That's what my second book is. It's just the kind of the highlights from those two semesters of classes um, <clears throat> and trying to make it accessible to um, a wider audience. And then this particular topic, marriage in the Bible, what do the texts say? Like, let's really talk about what they actually do say and don't say because I care about this particular conversation in this, it's not just the United States, like it's a global conversation that's happening, right? Because people do turn to biblical texts, even if they're not conscious of it, and even if they're not actually looking at a specific passage, they'll just say kind of vaguely, well, it's what God intended or something, you know, without even knowing, you know, um, both in political settings as well as faith settings. So it's it's not just a faith based conversation, right? People are having making political claims and passing legislation, right? Based on a very vague grasp of what the Bible says, as if that should matter. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which right. is another question so altogether. Got, you, yeah, you you're already you, there's you've identified two problems. Right? <laughs> right. Right. Straight out the gate. We're already I mean the first question should be what the fuck does Why it does matter? That matter? Right. In a in a in a Clearly, obviously, what should be viewed as a secular society that we're supposed to be, what the Bible has to say about this should have no bearing on, on how we legislate it. But then you get into the next question, final, if you are going to say that this is somehow, then you better damn well understand what the Bible actually says about it. And, and I, I, I'm with you, I think, and I want to really delve into to, to where those misconceptions lie, because I think so much of what passes for you know, sort of Western evangelical, in particular, scholarship, in air quotes, really is not scholarship. It is the parroting of cliches and platitudes, um, giving lip service to political lobbyists and people, people in that, you know, in that sphere by saying things like biblical marriage. And we know what you mean by that. But it, but is it biblical and is it marriage? What you're, <laughs> what you're right, promulgating, right? Right, and and really, at least from my perspective, the mental gymnastics, if you will, that yes. you have to do, right, to make the passages that people do tend to turn to say what you think they're saying, right? You've got it's crazy what you have to do to to you know pay attention to this over here, but don't pay attention to that over there, you know, in that one verse even, much less the larger context of the verses that people point to, right? For sure. This is what I mean by biblical marriage. So, Well, and I think for most people, and I really, like I said, these are, I, I, just, I love this topic. I love it. And I think the importance of it can't be overstated um, because it does impact every single one of us, right? Whether we get married or don't get married, we're all the result or the, <laughs> of somebody's, someone's interaction, most of us from through traditional marriage and things like that. So these inter, these interactions, these relationships, these how these things are structured, they impact all of us. But there is, so this seems to be a divide for those who, who would, who would lobby for a so-called biblical marriage. They, they make, they sort of draw this distinction between what God did or would allow, say, in olden times. So they'll do that, that delineation between Old Testament rules about marriage and things were much different than New Testament rules about. And I don't think that's true. But I wanted to get your take on that. Is there is there that clear of a delineation between, you know, what God allowed Solomon and David to do versus the things that were going on in the in the in the ancient Near East, you know, first century Palestine? Yeah. Well, actually, there isn't a distinction. And we can even just looking at the texts, there's a there's a question about whether or not polygamy 
or polygyny, because it's just multiple wives, but it's actually still being practiced in the first century. And there's a question as to in that, in one of the letters that talks about, um, you know, a deacon can be husband of one woman, right? It, in the Greek, it's still just man and, and woman. Yeah. But, um, but you know, yeah, is that saying no polygyny or is that saying you can only be married once in your life? You know, which is it? We don't actually know. So that's, from my perspective, that's at least a nod to the fact that, okay, well, we're not sure if polygyny was still being practiced. It may have still been. What I think is also important to note is not just the general practices like you're suggesting they're not, but also it's, you know, I realize who I'm talking to. I don't need to explain this to you two, but it's so interesting, right? How people will say, well, we don't, you know, the old, what's often called the Old Testament, I prefer to call Hebrew Bible, but that, you know, the Hebrew Bible is old ways and Jesus came and replaced them and did all blah, 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 blah. Well, actually, that's not entirely true because you, even as a Christian, you are drawing upon passages, if not sections of what's in the Hebrew Bible, right? Genesis 1, 28 and Genesis 2, 24 are the foundational passages that rabbis were using to talk about marriage a couple hundred years before Jesus hit the scene. So they're already pulling passages out of context. So cherry picking is a well-wrought tradition, (laughs) right? They're already pulling these two verses out of context to make them talk about marriage. They're not talking about marriage. We think they're talking about marriage or we're making them talk about that because of, well, the one says, Genesis one twenty eight says, um, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Well, if you think that you have to marry before you can have sex, then that's talking about marriage. But it's not talking about marriage. It's just talking about go do the thing that you have a desire to go do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> go on with your bad self and make babies. Right. Nobody needed to be told to do that. It's more like a blessing on go do that. Just like it was a blessing on the animals, um, the birds and the animals of the sea and the animals on the land to do the same thing in a few verses prior to that, right? God says to all the living creatures to be fruitful and multiply. So is God saying to every all creatures to be married? Or is God just, is this a story that's doing something else, which is just talking about this general thing, right? Of, of human, of existence, of, you know, animals. So anyway, so, you know, and Genesis 2.24 is one of the most problematic in this whole conversation. And I I can't tell you how fun it is to stand in front of a classroom of undergraduates and tell them about Genesis 2.24, which most people at the, you know, this is the the part where Adam, the first human is created out of the dirt and God breathes air into it. And that first human isn't actually male. And then la, 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 we're trying to find a partner for this first human. And then we've got the Second one is created, and now, now that they're two humans, we have male and female. And and the, this comment is made, and, you know, kind of the therefore, you know, so whenever there's a therefore, look to see what it's there for, right? This is the whole point. This story is talking about what? A human desire to pair up or leave your parents and start your own or whatever it is, but it's not specifically talking about marriage. There's no language about around marriage in it. There isn't language to designate men before and after being married. There isn't language in the Hebrew to designate women before and after being married. It's just a man and a woman before and they're a man and a woman after. Like they don't, ha- they don't even have the language. For it. So when people read 
Genesis 2.24 to say, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his, what's, what is she called? Every single English translation but one says wife, calls her a wife instead of saying, therefore, he's going to leave his parents and cling to his woman and the two shall become one flesh. Like, let's not make such a big deal of it. But the translators, translators turn her into a wife because in the next phrase, they have sex. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know that good boys and girls don't have sex. They wait. <laughs> Damn it. That's why I we mean, all run up and get married at 19. I mean, oh gosh. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because we want to have sex, but we want to be good people. Exactly. And like, what? How much? How many unfortunate relationships, you know, or. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's maddening, actually, when you think about it, the, uh, the amount of, of life we've given to this non-issue, making issues of non-issues. I mean, I instead, so agree right? with that. Like, yes. it's like, like, well, let's create a problem where there really isn't a problem. Exactly. And then let's come up with a whole bunch of language that we can use to articulate it and talk about it and shame people into doing things that we want them to do. Right? Exactly, to control that and to right, how control. we're going to protect that and all these yeah. things we build up around it. Oh, it's Yeah, it's amazing. Awful. And yeah. we just talked about two Bible verses that are being clobbered and used like... Used to clobber And there's people. an entire, exactly. I mean, I mean, <laughs> there's, an, there's all the rest of the text that we can exactly. also abuse <laughs> and misuse and level, you know, leverage against people. Great. Well, and you do a really good job, right? You you have these tables in the book where you 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 take like I think what um, I'm not sure if I'm on the right one or not, but it's talking about the word marriage, right? And how many times the word marriage is used, and it's you it's it's actually the the word is to take, yeah, right. But then the word take is used in other contexts that are not meant to be about marriage, but it's the same word, right? It is the very same word. So then you're like, okay, so what exactly are you meaning here? Uh, it, well, I mean, we, we know there's an issue with translation already, right? We, we've seen, I mean, we could go off, we could have a whole other podcast just talking about that, just mistranslations of word after word. Uh, but specifically for this is, of course, in the beginning of this is because I think the chapter, chapter one is like, something about the language, right? I can't remember the, the title of the chapter. Uh, no, it's chapter two, right? It's chapter two. Yeah, chapter two, I start to introduce. Oh, that's, uh, did Adam and Eve even get married? Yeah, uh, right. Uh, <laughs> the, our oh. first primordial yeah. parents were living in sin? Yes, exactly. <laughs> did they shack up? Exactly. <laughs> Way to go. Well, but yeah, again, <laughs> our putting we're putting a, a version of what we think it needs to be onto a another group of people who and you, and you talk about this in different in different situations with marriage same sex marriage what it is to be binary all this stuff right we are taking our own today's idea of what that means and putting it on them and expecting that they thought of it the same way we did and they would have used the same language we did specifically yes when it, especially when it comes to marriage yeah when you when the, when their language is no different when it's, okay, John, go out and take a woman and bring her home and have sex with her. Now she's yours. You've marked her as your territory in your property, right? And also go take the person who's visiting and, and take them on a walk outside. That's the same two verbs. <laughs> like that's, that's take, take her for yourself and take someone outside or take the thing that I just gave you and go sacrifice it. Like, 
it is property. It is making women objects and specifically around this idea of she now belongs to you. And, you know, and then the, out of that is where we get these, uh, the, the ideas and around, you know, what we call adultery and so forth. Um, but it starts with women as property. And in both Testaments, so that back to your comment or question earlier, Nat, it is, that is still the case throughout the newer Testament as well. Yeah. So we have these, these issues of, again, I think what John's talking about, what I would, I would call them anachronisms, right? I mean, this is an, an anachronistic way of looking at the text through 21st century eyes and saying, well, clearly when Paul spoke about, you know, mistranslated word to follow homosexuals or homosexuality in the church, that he clearly meant the same thing that we mean. And therefore, Paul is very, very much anti-LGBTQ. Or Jesus, for that matter, when he says that, when he parrots essentially what Genesis says, that a man would cleave, you know, would leave his parents and cleave to his, to his, to his spouse, that now his argument doesn't have to be explicitly stated. He's clearly against same-sex unions because he's setting this up as the model for marriage. I know what my answer is to that. What, how would you answer that assertion? Well, when he's being asked, so that's in Matthew 19. And so he's, so he's approached and asked, essentially, though it doesn't necessarily read that way in most English translations, but he's being asked, so for which reason are you okay with divorce? Right, that's the, right. That's exactly. the question, right? And there, he's not even being asked about marriage technically, right? right? Um, okay. Um, and so then this is what I was referring to a second ago when I said there's already been an exchange going on for 200 years between Jewish leaders, like which, which reason are we allowed you know, for which reason are we allowed to do this? And so he is actually participating in this debate that has already been well-worn and established. He references, you know, the whole thing. And and so they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then in, De- in Deuteronomy 24, it says that we could. So what do you say about that? You know, yeah. and he said, well, <laughs> it's because you're hard-hearted and, you know. Um, and then he lays this, you know, and and I say to you, you know, so this Matthean Jesus is well known for taking the Jewish law and kind of ratcheting it up a notch or two. But the thing is, I don't think when people quote Matthew 19, they only quote verses four, five, and six, which is which is really fascinating because that's nothing new. Jesus isn't saying that for the first time. That's a well-worn idea. And by and if you follow through to the end of that exchange, what Jesus says directly contradicts it. And and this is the thing about this passage. So he, right, he he makes this claim that if you even just lust after a woman, you know, you've, you've committed adultery. And his disciples freak out. And they're like, well, if that's the case, it's better not to marry in the first place. And he doesn't deny that. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> you might not be wrong. You might not be wrong. Exactly. Paul would come along and agree with later. Like, hey, exactly. you should and be then, like me if you can handle it. Right. And then Jesus says that thing about eunuchs, which I just am delighting in for the last six months or whatever, you know. That's a fascinating discussion too. It is. When he says, you know, not everyone can handle this, but some are born this way, some are made this way by others, and some make themselves this way for the sake of the kingdom. Let anyone accept this who can. Now, I want to see a Matthew 19, 12 tent at the next Promise Keepers convention. Do you know what I'm saying? For (laughs) self-castration or what? Like, like how serious are you about Jesus, really? Yes. Does he get us? He gets us, John. (laughs) 
That'll be the next yeah. he gets this commercial those guys yes. going out there and self mutilating because they're totally. like, wow, Jesus said, if it, this is only for those who can really take it. <laughs> but the early church had lots of very pious spiritual men castrating themselves. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's famous, there's very famous ones who, yeah. Is, is there any truth to the notion? That I've heard, I've heard, I've heard people suggest before that eunuch was, was not necessarily. It could have been a euphemism for anybody sort of outside the margins of what would be seen as normative, either sexual identity or sexual practice, or right? Because maybe, I mean, does that does that make sense? I mean, that's, I think that's precisely what it was when he refers to a eunuch in the first century. What he's saying is he's acknowledging men who ha- are sexually active with men and women. They cannot procreate. And so that kind of throws the whole Genesis 128 under the bus. Right. No <laughs> no fruitful multiplying going on there. Precisely. And so so the whole bisexuality thing is is legit and is is widely attested to whether or not every single eunuch had sex with men and women doesn't matter to me. It was a part, a function of being on the outskirts sexually, you're you're and available and all kinds of things. But also in the writings in in the first century, a couple centuries prior, a couple centuries after, people would write about eunuchs and talk about them as a third gender. This is language that they're using. It's not an it's not a modern construct. It's been talked about for two thousand years. And Jesus is saying there's nothing wrong with this person for who he is and what he or she, what they are, right? And and like embracing this person who is a third gender, cannot procreate, and is potentially bisexual. Like, come on. <laughs> right. Who knew? Well, and then obviously, you know, we get the story of the of the Ethiopian eunuch. Right. Which features largely, right? For a lot of people. It's like the Christians really are not actually paying attention to what Jesus is saying. People are specifically not paying attention to this phrase, this thing. Well, and this doesn't this come back to again, this comes back to language. So we're we've talked about, you know, the misuse of the word marriage. Uh, we can talk about the misuse of the word adultery, right? So adultery in our sense is someone stepping outside of their marriage. But within the language, this is more of again, this is a patriarchal system, right? So this is a man having sex with someone else's property. That's what it is. But we instantly think, okay, he stepped out outside of his marriage. He had sex with a woman who he wasn't married to, or he had sex with another man's wife. And this isn't what this means, right? Correct. It is solely about, yes, this man has <laughs> penetrated someone else's property. It doesn't matter if he, the guy, is married or not, has a woman you know, of his own or not. That doesn't even matter, Right. It's not about protecting a sacred relationship. It's not about a promise you've made. I love that when, you know, I hear that a lot, like when people talk about marriage and the Bible, they've promised to be together for the rest of it. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not an option for the, for the female. Thank you very much. No, it's not about breaking a promise. It's not about stepping out on your partner. It's about, it's, it's ultimately about inheritance issues. And then it's monitored. And this is back to kind of what you were saying a second ago, Nat. It's, and it's being monitored and protected in this way, right? The way we protect that is to say, you don't get to have, you don't tap somebody else's woman. That's right. Or <laughs> livestock. Or 
children. Gosh. Well, I mean, the, the commandment's pretty vague. Thou, thou shalt not cover thy neighbors anything. Well, right? yes. So, um, so all of their property is off limits, man. But that, so that view of, that view of, of women as property, I, I, th- I think we pay lip service to understanding what that means. I think there's a lot of sort of, okay, head nodding and we get that. But I don't think we really understand or can really grasp how profound that is. Agreed. You know, to the culture yeah. and to the psyche and to the, right. And, and, and how profoundly it still informs us. Like we're not really that far removed from it. I right? agree fully. Yes. When, when my, when my wife and I got married, that was the role. Those were the roles we fell into because those were the roles that we, we thought. And so, and my wife would tell you if she was with me right now, I won't allow her to be on screen because, you know, she's, I'm joking. Kim, I know. I'm, I'm just playing. <laughs> you met my wife. Right. <laughs> but, but she would tell you, I think that I, that wasn't anything I had to foist upon her. And I never had to assert my male dominance. I never had to say, I'm the head of this household, damn it. Actually, she would probably tell you she griped at me to be the head of that household. Mm, interesting. Like, why am I not stepping into those roles? Because I didn't like it, you know? And in the way that marriage was modeled for John and I through our parents was was loving and, and, co- and very, very much co-equal, I think. But dad was the boss. I mean, there was no joke about that. There was no, there was no doubt about that. But, but as we've grown over the last 30 years of marriage, um, thank God we're not the same people. And we look back on those days and go, holy shit. Like, <laughs> like how, like how, why, how and why did we do this? And it, it, it just strikes me as how deeply we've been infiltrated with these sensibilities that these are the roles, right? And I actually just, I don't remember who, I was talking to someone about this just the other day. That I, You know, I left the church at a pretty young age. I was 18, 19 when I left the church. Uh, got married when I was 21. Not, I did not consider myself a Christian at all. I see. Okay. Um, yeah. And I still had expectations, right? They're right. still so ingrained in me. My wife's working a 40 hour a week job. I'm working a 40 hour a week job. We're both going to school and I still don't understand why the dishes aren't done. Oh, right. Right, right, right. I'm still that asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and it took me a long time to realize how stupid. That. I mean, I'm still there. I mean, there's still times where I'm like, I'm, I'm not there. I'm not that person. But there's still times where that kind of that kind of information kind of comes in the head. Understood. Like, and um, so it's a battle almost every day, right? Because yes. it was so ingrained into us. So that, early, your like, whole that, yes. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a level of authority, you know, and we we've all seen the umbrella, right? The <laughs> no, umbrella, an umbrella. Yeah, God, that, that, that the dumbest triggers, thing I've ever seen. That triggers anybody who's who it remotely has a brain in their head. Phil Goddard can um, kiss my ass. <laughs> but what 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 I'm trying to get at with that is even people outside the church, specifically within the Western evangelical world, it's ingrained in them. And they don't even, I don't, they, I would say they would probably say they're not Christian. They don't follow any Christian beliefs, but there's a, there's a moral base, right? That, that we still follow and we still think it's right. Culturally speaking, right? There's an influence on cultural standards and expectations. Yeah. That maybe they aren't as strong as they would be, you know, inside the church when you start asking a woman when she's going to, a married woman when she's going to start having babies, but yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mercy. Oh. But it's, you know, I absolutely think that's true. Um, the Western paradigms, right, have been hev- so heavily influenced by 
Christian frameworks that, yes, plenty of non-religious children, right, are influenced by it and also have those ideas for sure. Well, and then, and then, then the, you know, the, the, the political part of it too, right? That they have, they've doubled down on it too in, in, in this quote unquote, trying to, to save our country and make <laughs> us more, more like Christ. Like them. <laughs> but that's, Not like that's, Christ. They want us to be more. Right. Just, just be more like us. And again, you're, uh, as you said earlier, this isn't just America, right? This isn't, this isn't just North America. This is, this is a worldwide issue. It is. Uh, within multiple cultures. Right. Um, and specifically around the issue of making it illegal to be a homosexual or to have a same-sex relationship. There, you know, there are laws around, you know, in countries around the world that do, they outlaw being LGBT, right? Right. Or LGB. I believe in some countries it's still, uh, I mean, death penalty is still. Yes. Enforced. Yeah, enforced. Yes. Um, I mean, you don't want to be found out as, yeah, right. right. Yeah. Talk about going underground. Well, there's places yeah. in this country where it's still death penalty as well. It's well, just, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, just handled but, off. The but no, I, court, but the, out of the, uh, court. the issues that surround that. Here's, here's. I want to say this before I forget. Um, I'm just disappointed that I was promised that the institution of marriage would implode once we allowed homosexuals to marry, <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of looked forward to that. And son of a bitch, and people are still getting married. It, it hasn't happened. The gays did not wreck it for everyone. Damn it. <laughs> I was promised that there was an agenda afoot. I like that, and I feel like they're falling down on the job. They are. So, and I don't. You know. I don't know if I don't know if this is encouraging or not. But the the one thing that I, I've noticed is you know because I have uh, quite a few um, same sex marriages, you know, friends who are in same sex marriages, that they have the same exact problem. Oh my <laughs> god! Don't they ever? Right? Yeah. They're so, fighting about the same dumb shit my wife and I are. fight about every day. Okay, you, know, you know, like maybe in like this like la la world that I'm hoping will be in that they'll show us how to be better at being nah. married. And nah. they they have they have the same hangups we do. Yep. They, everything's the same. I'm like, ah man. Yeah, y'all were supposed to show us a better way. Forward. I know. Um, I know. Right? But but I, but I have. But at been the really same time, I, I I think it's encouraging, right? And it shows that you know this is just part of who we are. Yeah. It's just finding the person that we love and, and sometimes having to battle through it to make, to make the best of our relationship, right? Yeah, yeah. And choosing to do that for the long haul, right? right I mean, right. that's, yeah, a, right. that's yeah. a lovely ambition, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, and the truth of the matter is that my gay friends were doing this long before they had a piece of paper that enforced anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. They were demonstrating yeah. this commitment to one another completely out of choice. Without, matter of fact, I, I was having this discussion with with one of my kids not not too long ago, and they brought up a really good point. The sort of the almost a lamenting of the need for that piece of paper, the need for that governmental that 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 certificate that binds you somehow legally to somebody. Well, what? I don't need that. My wife and I don't need that. There will be moments where you will, <laughs> like in the hospital. When she's or... time to have my shit. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. The, uh, no, uh, the, <laughs> They're, you're right well, about yeah, that. And, you're that's, right. and that's exactly it. That's that's where the difference would change, right? right? That, exactly. You know, and, pre, yeah. you know, same-sex marriage being legal, you know, inheritance. Well, how many heartbreaking stories, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, losing mm-hmm. inheritance, not being allowed right. in the hospital right. as your as your partner's dying. Yes, right? All or this suffering stuff. in some way. Yes, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I agree with Nat that, you know, this is, it's, it's not like they weren't doing this already. Uh, my wife and I had... Um, 
you know, when we lived in town before we moved, our neighbors across the street was this elderly gay couple. And of course, before they knew who we were, it was, you know, it wasn't talked about. And as we got to know each other and they realized, okay, these are safe people. Mm-hmm. And they became like really good friends. As a matter of fact, they're oh, still friends, right? Nice. I, uh, I, I still nice. run into them from time to time. But, you know, an elderly, you know, gay couple. And it was, it was, it was really refreshing th- at that point where they knew that we were safe and they could talk to us and we became closer even after that was, you know, and then it was like one of, one of them was like an antique collector and he was always showing us all these antiques he collected. Cool it was, stuff. it was He's an fine. amazing, yeah, it was yeah. an amazing friendship. But I remember the day that they got to get legally married. Did you get to celebrate a little with them or? Uh, after the fact, it was very, very private, the the ceremony, but after the fact, um, but it was, I mean, they did post it online and it was just like, it was like one of those, like, this is exactly what we, what we were, what we're fighting for is these people who've been living together for decades and finally get to acknowledge in front of the world that they are as equal as anybody else in saying that we are a couple. But it's it's sad, right? It's sad, but at the same time, it's hopeful. But now again, it's getting, you know, we have people threatening to remove this and take this away again. But again, it, it, it really comes down to this idea of language, right? Because you And you, you don't really hit them very hard, but you, you bring up a couple of the clobber passages in Leviticus. Right. You know, I did have to d- decide how to handle the clobber passages right? and chose to specifically, f- because the title is marriage, that I was only going to do that. And I thought about doing like all the clobber passages in some way, connecting right. them to the, you know, Yeah. but you're right. I didn't, that's not what I'm. And, but I, I agree with you. That's right. your, your book wasn't, if you were specifically talking about same sex marriage, right. you know, that's it's different. You're going to bring them all up, and you're going to talk about all of them. But you're talking about marriage as as a as a as a structure, as as a um, um, what's the word institution, even, and how we have misinterpreted what the Bible is even saying throughout the whole Bible. And uh, the one thing I do like, and uh, you do it uh, throughout the book, is these tables you give us of these different you know definitions or descriptions of things, and you show how. So I, that part, I, I definitely get the teaching part of you, right? <laughs> that you give us those. But I, I think it's, I, and it allows us then to go back and look, right? Because now we have them and we can go look at other translations and see if any of them, which very rarely, very, very few, right? If, if any, get it right. Well, yeah. Do you mean of the, like the four main passage? Like using the word marriage and the, but not using, but, uh, or not marriage, but like uh, husband and wife, but it actually just means man and woman. Right. Yeah, we should remove husband and wife from the entire Christian Bible, like because they just don't exist in the Greek or the Hebrew. Like how? Yes, and so I so I have a couple charts kind of show like showing the the difference, right? What does it look like if you take if you just call them man and woman instead of husband and wife? Well, Doctor Bird, it just feels so much more raw. I'm like, mm-hmm, that's my point. That's yeah. my point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get that a lot. You seem, it seems like you've got that Thank voice down. Well, Dr. Brad, you see. Um, I have. From the male perspective, you understand. Well, well and that, even, uh, even females will say, you know. No, uh, I know, yeah. Students, you know, yeah. They're, they're like, I'll tell you, some, some, of the, some of the more hardcore um, sort of anti-feminist voices are coming from right-wing evangelical women. Um, who are tripling, quadrupling down on some of this horseshit. But um, does it beg the question, because it does for me, if the translation, it doesn't seem that complicated, really. The words, they are what they are. So I feel like we're giving these people 
a little too much grace by calling it a mistranslation because it sounds intentional as it's hell to me. It's absolutely intentional. You are absolutely that's, right. That, that's, that's more of a deception than a, oops, we got the word wrong. I agree. Every single time it's used, we got it wrong. So sorry. I, I agree. Was there a point where you realized this was intentional? For me, I can tell you exactly the, the translation that let me know this is intentional. And it was, it was Junius. When I, when I realized that that translation had happened and, and literally made a woman a man, right? And I was like, from now on, I can't believe anything because this, you don't do this on accident. This is Thank not an you. accident. This is a hundred percent on purpose. And that was, that was the turning point for me as to go, oh, it's, it was mistranslated. You know, it's so oh, hard. Gosh. You know, sometimes you just get a wrong John, word. I had the same reaction that, to that. It was, and that was that was literally for me. I was like, "Oh, they're just fucking it up on purpose." They are. They are <laughs> fucking with women specifically, yeah. taking the power yeah, away, yeah. taking her story away. Yes, thank you. I I like knowing that about you. Because um, <laughs> I remember the day in seminary when I learned that, and I was like, "It's like the floor dropped out." And I literally wish I was like in my early twenties when I found that out, right? And I wasn't. <laughs> I was in my late forties if I'm if I'm being nice to myself, right? <laughs> but it was like I was like, God damn it. It's like, wow. And then you then you go back and and then the next one was uh Phoebe. It was yes, Phoebe right? being called a helper. Yes. But the same exact word was used to call a man basically a preacher, right? Or a minister. It was like it's the same word. And the first thing I did is like, well, maybe, maybe there's a feminine and a male or a masculine version of the word. So I went and searched and I'm like, nope. It's the you were same trying to goddamn word. Yep. And then yep. I was like, okay. It's intentional. Yeah. Absolutely intentional. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it's interesting too, because like I actually know half the people that created the the translation that I like to that I used to like to read. And and you know, and then they've updated it and they've I don't, I don't know. They've updated it in ways that are act, in ways that are actually more deceptive instead of making it more clear. Uh, this isn't related to marriage, but one of my favorite things to talk about <laughs> outside of this particular topic right now is, you know, the the um, the robe as people usually translate it that it's given to Joseph by Jacob. It's actually a princess dress. No way. Nice. It's a dress worn by daughters of a king. And the the translation that I have, you know, when it's being worn by a female, when it's being worn by Tamar, David's daughter Tamar, after she was by her half-brother, right? She goes and rips her, her dress, right? She mourns. She puts ashes on her head and rips this katonat pasim, which is what it is in the Hebrew. And the katonat pasim is what Jacob gives to his favorite son. And that son wears that dress all over the fucking place. Like, can we talk about that? <laughs> And no wonder his... They hated him. <laughs> and to me, it actually makes the story like this stunning story, right? It, 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 it says so many things about homophobia and right the unease and the fact they want to beat him up and kill him instead of understanding him. But goodness gracious, his father got it? Like what? Right? And then he goes into another country and like that's different about all these things and they're cool with it and he's just doing his thing and he rises and like it's a cool story when you read it through that lens <laughs> wow yeah yeah I, wow right so he he was daddy's little princess and and they hated his guts for it so here's the thing about it the newest translation instead of fixing it when it comes to joseph they are now oh no 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 
it, when it used to say, it used to say, you know, princess dress for Tamar. And then we're not sure what this word means in the Hebrew when it came to Joseph. Okay. So now they, they say something like, well, blah, 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 for both cases. <laughs> so now they just don't and, know what either of them instead mean. Instead of owning it. Yes. Right. Can you? The next update will be to change hers to a more masculine one. <laughs> oh my gosh! But it's but it's so intentional, right? But and the they, killer thing is is exactly what you just said for me, which is when we read the Bible plainly and literally, or literally, and we do it's so fucking boring. There's so much more nuance and complexity, and the the, the stories are so much more interesting when you are aware of some of the subtext or you go and you go looking for some of the subtext, you know, uh, we've, I've used the example of Jonah and the whale a hundred thousand times because it's not that interesting of a story, except for all of the other implications of the story. You know, when you get into the meat of, okay, well, you know, the, 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 the relational dynamics between Jonah and the people he was supposed to go preach to and then, and the history of their people and his people and all these, that's way more interesting than some so my weird, miraculous story about a guy getting swallowed by a fish, which is, you know, enough to entertain a five-year-old. But exactly. you, you know, it's a great children's story, but the rest is complex. Well, it, it, it also goes to some of the stuff you, you talk about. And again, this was, this was stuff that I didn't, I, I, I took it the way I, it was told to me exactly. right, time and time again. Sure. And it wasn't until not too long ago that someone's like, you do realize that Abraham raped Hagar raped her, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, this was, I mean, it's but it's been taught over over and over again. Like his wife, his his wife, she was uh-huh. offers right. this person as a like a, a a substitute so he could have this child. Like God, I think God is telling me this is how we're going to get our son. It's right? all going to be literally. Everybody's like on board with this. Mm-hmm. And there's like in this, I I can't remember who we were talking about. Like he literally raped her. I'm like. How I not seen that? And then again with um, with uh, is it Jacob? Yes, Jacob has Leah and Rachel. Right. And, the two and then they keep offering their mm-hmm. their that's right their women whatever they are their slaves basically. So again, this isn't this isn't consensual. This no, is this is again I'm I'm having sex with property. Precisely. And I have, again, I keep referring to what conversations I have with students because I teach all this stuff, you know, with students, um, which is really fun. But they will, I mean, how many times, and it's, I'm sure, in the same thing that we would have been taught in terms of how not to see that he rapes her, right? Well, this is God's plan and yeah, Sarah's doing, or I I actually had a student just last fall say, like I pushed him on this a little bit. and And I said about Hagar, and looking at what's happening here. And he said, well, I think that, I think that Hagar was, was on board with it. And he, and she was, she knew what it was for. So she was fine with what was happening. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, it's difficult to get this guy to, to have, figure out how to invite him to reframe the way he sees that. Cause he is so important to him that the Bible be holy and good. Right. And that everything in it is good and not. Yeah. And like the first thing you need to break down is that you need to understand that Hagar wasn't treated as a, human being. Right. She was an enslaved she was person. A piece of property. Right. So 
this is no excuse so for it, right? Feet, but, whether she was on board yeah, or not. Right. Yeah, but exactly. nothing. And, and that's a whole other conversation that I find is interesting is the issue of slavery in the Bible. But but yes, enslaved peoples have always been of forced to be available for sex. I mean, that's just, it is a part of enslavement. Well, and it, it's, it, it all just builds up the patriarchal system that's within the, within, and, um, and you talk a little bit about how, as they do genealogy, right? It's always this man begot this kid who begot this kid. It's like, as if, as if, as if men had babies and all the women are not mentioned. Yes. Have you, did you see my little clip on that? I have a video. Um, I did a video I, I did. series. I'll have, to, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, yeah. I can send it to you because it's, you know, I've done, um, yeah, I did a video series to kind of help people of faith actually try to work through these passages. If they, you know, if they want to be open and inclusive, but they don't know what to do with the Bible on it, you know, like some people just kind of just don't pay attention, like ignore it entirely because it's so tricky. So I've created a video series and there's a section in there where I'm like, it's almost like it's magic. <laughs> <laughs> and he woke up one day and boom, there was a kid. Yes. they. He so, so let me ask you this then. So as we do go forward with this, for those who do want to stay engaged with the Bible and, you know, that's not everybody, you know, and I think that's right. fair. No. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. to the degree that you want to though, how do we make sense of these things and still, you know, still take the Bible seriously? You know, is it enough to contextualize it or do we need to do something? I'm not even sure what did, what would be beyond that. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, that's one of the reasons I, gosh, that's an interesting question because actually the the podcast that I do with Choircast, uh, Wild Olive, we, we actually do a lot of rereading of stories um, in the Bible through more modern lenses. And so we it actually helps make some of these stories in the Bible, not just related to marriage, more relatable so that you can see that this element of Lot's wife and the, the whole thing about turning around and blah, 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 and just really negative. But there there's a way you can take that story and relate it to a whole bunch of people's experiences over the centuries. And it looks very different, very, very different than the way I was taught to read that you know, to the lens of she was being disobedient. So she turned us all like that. No, there's a whole thing going on there, metaphorically, symbolically, right? So so that's why Jean and I are doing a podcast is to try to help people see that there, there are elements of the Bible that can be useful for talking about human experiences. From my perspective, when it comes to marriage, I want people to be very clear that this is this is about women as property in the Bible, that there is no example of a couple that is created by two people choosing it, two people who are equals or based on love. And I think it's great that people today enter marriages <laughs> by two equals who choose it based on love. Like, But that ideal for us isn't, there isn't one in the Bible that, that supports that. So that is a thing to just be clear about, to be able to say, okay, well, these texts are ancient and they embody ancient worldviews and beliefs and ideas. And this topic happens to be one that you kind of need to take a big step back from and just see what's going on. 
I mean, we could talk about the fact that the words attributed to Jesus on marriage, we already referred, talked about some of them, you know, the eunuch piece, but, and, and when his disciples say, well, maybe it's better not to marry to begin with. And he's like, yeah, maybe. And <laughs> right. And then the passage where he talks about, well, the people that belong to this age are given in marriage, marry and are given in marriage, but people who are worthy of heaven do not. That, that's just stunning. No Christian really th- stops to think about that. I mean, he literally says, if you want to get to heaven, you don't, you're not going to get married. And when he says it's okay to leave your family to follow him, like th- that is not healthy relationship modeling. <laughs> it's not. And in the book of Revelation, like Jesus, the Lamb of God, however bizarre looking he is described, he is either getting ready to marry his bride, which is either the city of Jerusalem, the new city of Jerusalem that has plops down out of the heavens, which is a weird thing to think about Jesus marrying, or he's going to marry his bride, which is comprised of 144,000 male male virgins. Like, we're not actually taking the things attributed to Jesus to heart. No. <laughs> no. No. And let's be serious. Let's be honest about that. And then maybe we can shift things around and start to be honest about, well, okay, what do we value? Where do we have those good examples? Looking at the David and Jonathan through the lens of ancient friendships. Yeah, yeah. That was fun for me to discover that article that I kind of shared about. And you two may have already been familiar with some of those ideas. But I mean, I wasn't aware of the extent to which, you know, ancient friendships were just pretty much checking the boxes of modern marriages aside from having sex. Let's be honest about that. That's kind of cool. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the the idea of Jonathan and David being soulmates, right? Right. Um, or is, at least is for Jonathan. Definitely, yeah. Right. Is, uh, yeah, at least for Jonathan. Uh, it is is what we would consider a very romantic. Totally. Um, I mean, that's, we totally. use the, we use that language when we're talking about the person we found that we like, this is the person I'm going to marry. Totally. So yeah, it, it, um, I had read something a while ago about that. And you know, you, you always take it with a grain of salt, especially when you find it online is like, is this, um, is this, is this academic or is this, this? someone's, <laughs> yeah, is this someone just coming up with their idea? But it was pretty, it, uh, it was pretty compelling. But when I read, That is the only set of people talked about using soulmate language, right? That Jonathan's soul was was drawn to, was connected to, right? That there isn't another couple in the in the Bible who's talked about that way. Not even in Song of Songs, right? Even in Song of Songs, there's a there's a woman who talks about her lover, he whom my soul loves, which is not quite as deep, in my opinion, right, as the soulmate language. So yes, I think that's really important to highlight, right? Let's take this seriously about what's going on. So so out of curiosity then, where does this mythology come from then? Because it is so prevalent in our culture that, you know, this institution of marriage has been so heavily romanticized. If it didn't really arise from the biblical text, which I don't know that it, it could have exclusively come from that. It doesn't. If at all. So in your opinion, then what, how does this, how does this come, come around and become such a force? Last 150 years, I would say, actually. Yeah. the it's really romantic- novel. In- yes. Relatively speaking, in human existence, <laughs> this is a novel. I mean, 150 years is nothing. Come on. Right. I mean, it is predominantly pragmatic, right? Over the centuries. Uh, you're fortunate if you can 
find a marriage that you're comfortable with, (laughs) (laughs) that you're excited about instead of just functioning, uh, surviving, creating more children, more humans and um, making sure there's someone to take care of you when you die. I mean, that's, so it's very much, you know, late 1800s is when this idea of romance that we can it's it's actually it's also a function of having some spare time, <laughs> right? Sure. So, so I mean, yeah, well, I mean, you could then probably like put it with like, you know, like the industrial revolution, precisely right? Where, what I was going with. Um, yes. Um, yeah. So we we have you know with this extra, machinery, right. We have we do we find ourselves with a little extra time to sit around and then kind of romanticize. Exactly. Know, then you get the then you get like the the Jane Austens, right? You get the like now I get to right now I get to uh, like romanticize about the man I really want to marry. Fantasy. Yes. Yeah. Fantasies. Yes. All of that. Yeah. It, it, it's, it seems logical to me. Exactly. I, um, <laughs> I mean, logical that it happened that way. <laughs> right. 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 I was, I was looking on my bookshelf. There's a, there's a book actually uh, by Stephanie Kuntz. Um, it's called Marriage and I can't remember the subtitle, but she covers kind of the history of marriage for at least Western civilization. And yeah, it's, it's a fairly recent turn. Yeah. Yeah. And then we turn around and we retranslate the Bible and then we drop marriage in every, everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and also, you know, this whole issue of the way people, the, from my perspective, when we talk about marriage in the Bible, we're talking about sex acts. We're not talking about a sacred relationship. We're talking about a, a guy takes a woman, has sex with her. Now she's mine. And we have that predominantly in the Hebrew Bible, such that when Paul and Jesus end up talking about or around the topic, they're only doing so in light of people having sex, monitoring who's having sex or not, whether or not it's okay for a married couple to have sex. I mean, that's 1 Corinthians 7. It starts out with this premise of he's heard that somebody's saying it's better for a man not to touch a woman. They're talking about a couple already married. And whether or not they're more holy if they abstain. Mm. Which is ludicrous. That's the... <laughs> What's the point? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my wife. Come on. Self-control. Makes you yeah, it's all about denial of the flesh. Right. And we're transcending right. our... our. But there, right. But there are... If you go look in Bibles, they will say some sort of reference to advice on marriage. No. no. It's not advice on marriage. It's advice things. on whether or not you're having oh. sex. That's it. When I when I was when I was pastoring, and I, my con- my small congregation knew of my intense loathing for headings of Bible chapters, nice because they were always wrong. They, they were always misleading. like like they're just so like this like read, this has nothing to do with what's actually happening here. Advice on marriage. Someone was giving advice on marriage, you know, and it it happens because that's just somebody's commentary now like finding its way into the text, right? Right, but but back to John's comments about like, this is entirely intentional. You are, they are directing us to think about this passage through that lens entirely. It's Was not it, about wasn't that. It, wasn't it the King James who first introduced the, the idea of head, like well, titles? And like breaking, like breaking the, the Bible up or the text up into chapter and verse is not a, it's a fairly old yeah, eleventh, twelfth century is when they first started but, doing that. But the 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 idea of captioning know. some of those headings and saying like the following thing you're about to read is Jesus warns about hell. 
And then, right, he, yeah, right, right. and then he proceeds to not yeah. talk about hell at all. But that's, right, right, you know. <laughs> but I don't know when those started, to be yeah, honest. I don't either. I don't, those ca- yeah, the headings or whatever. Well, it's, it's problematic though, right? Because in a lot of, like, as you're reading through, say, especially things like, like Paul's epistles or the epistles, you get page breaks and chapter breaks when they're mid-sentence sometimes. In the like wrong when places. He didn't even finish his thought. Why are you stopping the, as though the next thing that's going to follow is a brand new, okay, starting over. Like, no, you've missed the whole, yeah, you missed the flow. But one thing I would, one thing I would wonder is when it comes, coming come back to the Bible as, as how we look at it again is, I think we, t- I think we made this fatal turn at some point where we began to see the Bible as, as, as prescriptive, you know, as the, you know, and whatever jackass coined that little anachronism, that, uh, that a little acrostic, right? Basic instructions before leaving earth. And so now we look at this, this, this ancient, you know, encyclopedia of texts as little more than an instruction manual. And now I have to take everything in there seriously and, and, and literally because, well, they're telling me how to do things rather than just, Describing and it's God telling me, <laughs> and it's God. So I really have to take it seriously. So why aren't we all polygamists? Because really, you know, that's. I mean, the Mormon Church tried to go that way pretty hard, and it didn't work out super well for them. But there's still a bunch of hardcore, you know, ultra fundamentalist Mormons who are practicing polygamy and polygamy and any number of other iterations of that word that most people don't. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of complexity in those relationships, right? I mean, Justice Smith was was a practitioner of most of them. <laughs> so, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think, because I'm just coming back to some of your earlier questions, and I since I have my moment with you, I'm just going to kind of throw a couple more pieces out there that I think it's really important for people to familiarize with or to just kind of sit with the fact that anytime the relationship that looks like marriage to us is being talked about, even by Paul and Jesus, they're only talking about sex. And the need for sex to be procreative for them was very intense, right? And so, of course, that's that's all we're seeing and that's all they're talking about. And this is an ancient set of people. And I do think there are passages that we would call homophobic today. But that's a thing to be aware of instead of saying, see, yeah, <laughs> this see. is what God this is what God meant. <laughs> right. No, I think, you know, and and that's what makes me really sad today is when I see people who want to be true to scripture trusting an ancient perspective on sex and bodies to be accurate. And it's just not. Well, they didn't get science right. How are they going to get human sexuality right? Right. I mean, they thought that it just, it was, you know, the semen was just all you needed and it just needed a place to grow, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> woman didn't contribute anything except just an incubator, you know? But that's such a, that's such a good point, though, you know? Such a good point that, that, that I think a lot of, so for, for a lot of folks, that's, that's a tipping point. And it was for me. When I was able to go, let me take a step back from this thing that I've divinized, by the way, and and really placed on a on a level right up there with God, right? This Absolutely. is as far as I'm concerned, Father, Son, Holy I Bible, right? Yep. <laughs> and so it's really hard to step back from that and go, okay, actually, it's not that. Actually, what it does a really good job of doing is explaining, or I think honestly too, in, in, in many ways, explaining people's perspectives about God when they got it right and when they got it wrong. And rather than be able to honestly look at it and go, well, I think they missed it here. We've said, no, 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 it's in there. It has to be right. and has to be perfect. And I think we've placed this burden on the Bible that it was, it's, it was never intended to carry. It couldn't possibly sustain. 
and then backed ourselves all into these corners where we have to either, def- we either have to s- come out screaming in defense of a six day literal creation or, or we now have to fight with people who, <laughs> you know, over nuance and, and context. So, um, I think that's a really healthy way to move forward. What do you think? Put the Bible in its, put the Bible in its place. That's a title for my next book, John. Putting the Bible in its place. Like a proper. I toyed around with that actually it, for, um, some of the work title. I'm doing. It's but I want to make sure it's, it's, it is, but I want to make sure it's not off-putting to people. But I, oh, I, I do it like is. it. I do like it. I actually, my first, the subtitle for this book initially was, so it was Marriage in the Bible. And then the subtitle was, I do not think it means what you think it means. No, I love that so much. <laughs> but the, the editor in his wisdom said, well, I was like, well, let's be a little less snarky, shall we? I was like, maybe, oh, maybe okay. a little, yeah, I, I, I used, I used the, I used that line from The Princess Bride on a couple of occasions. And I, I used it, you know, I used it all the time anyway. But in my book, I did. I was like, you keep using these verses. Uh-huh. I do not think they mean what you think they mean. You know, and you have to read that in the voice of Inigo Montoya. You do. You do. You do. Like, hmm. I do not think it's true. Yeah, but it, but it, but it's a, ref- to me, it's, it was refreshing. It actually, it, it, it made me, it made me want to read the Bible again. Whereas before, I mean, I remember reading, and I wrote, I, I read uh, Marcus Borg's reading the Bible again for the first time. And I was like, and it was so revelatory at the time and such a fresh take, I thought. And that, the subtitle of that book is um, taking the Bible seriously enough to not take it literally, literally. And I'm like, that's what's missing, I think, because I think the, I think the more quote unquote, air quote, traditional approach to how we've read the Bible is actually very arrogant, you know, to somehow assume that you could read this thing plainly and and not come to it with your own lenses and your own filters and and somehow I think the Bible deserves better. You know, we wouldn't read Moby Dick, you know, and not look for subtext. Like we'd never get that out of English 101 class, right? And yet we do this or we want to do this with the Bible all the time and go, well, no, I'm just, I'm, don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, man. Well, the Bible says you should stone that person. Get your rocks. Let's roll. I mean, if you really take it seriously, we should be killing folks. Okay. So you've nuanced some of this to stay out of prison. That's, that's smart for you. But yeah, I, I, I just don't, I just don't understand the, uh, the approach. And it, it's, to me, it's rescued the Bible, made it, made it something that's worth looking at again. Where for a while I was like, I was with John. I'm like, you know what? I'm just not sure I want to pick this thing up again. It does seem, you know, just too problematic. So. For all of that, thank you for the work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. Mm, yeah. It's, uh, well, thank thank you for reading some of what I've done. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, it's it is like I said before. I, I meant it, and this is one of the more fascinating things that I've that I've that that we've been talking about recently. You know, because it and because it does it does play it overlaps into so much other stuff too. I mean, it doesn't. It's not just isolated to okay. This is you know a talk about marriage. Now we've seen how the conversation has gone. It goes. It spills over into everything, and and it's. I, I just think it's very prescient. Like this is something that is 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 needful right now. So, if we didn't have a hard out, John, we would talk. When we we monopolize your time for another hour because <laughs> you are. I just love you. You're awesome, and your book is oh, great. And thank you. We appreciate the work that you're doing. Your podcast is amazing. Um, oh, that's sweet. And your thank cat you. is pretty cool too. My cat is pretty awesome. Yeah, Minerva. <laughs> so. I appreciate you having me on for this conversation. This is really fun. Enjoyed it very, very much. We will uh, 
We'll make sure, like we said, we're going to, in the show notes, we'll make sure that people have links to your stuff, to your, well, to your podcast you. and to your book. Yeah. And um, we'll, we'll make the same urgings that we always do. Like, go buy the books, that. man. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> we have literally just scratched the surface um, of, of the brilliance of, and I forgot to mention Dr. Jennifer yeah, Bird. I, I did not mean to leave the PhD off. Oh, Let's you, not. You, you called me that. Did I? Okay. Well, did. I, I, I never want to. Yeah. Hey, listen, you worked your tail off for that. You Every honorific you can get, you, you deserve. So <laughs> uh, I want to make sure you get that. So appreciate all right. That. All right. Appreciate you. Thanks again. Um, the book again, Marriage in the Bible. It does not mean what you think it means. So go- <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I think I think you should have stuck to your guns on that one. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes editors and publishers know better. But all right, thanks again. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit Patreon.com/slash This Is Not Church, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.